the Application Security Podcast. Here we go. Hey folks, this is Chris, and I am at the Converge Conference in Detroit, Michigan right now. And this continues our series of the hallway conversations. And I'm joined today by Matt Clapple. And Matt, this is his second time on the podcast, so we are very glad to have him back again. Um, And so we're going to talk today about technical debt. When you say technical debt, what is this thing that you're even talking about? Tech debt is kind of a broad term, but I like to think of it as, as stuff you need to address later, right? If you look at some of the security problems we have today, IoT and various other technology stacks, uh, it's a lot of it is, is stuff that was old, stuff that had been in there for a while, and just kind of left and set once and, and forget it. And, you know, set it and forget it might work if you're on appeal working on some little thing that cooks a chicken. But it doesn't necessarily work in technology when it rapidly advances so much. And, and the things that worked yesterday are going to be insecure tomorrow, right? So I've seen this problem kind of pervade as we get more and more into this IoT world, and so I wanted to kind of, you know, highlight that. And I think it comes from uh, areas like uh, dependencies and, and other things. Okay, so let's, uh, the I guess the side of IoT and application security, uh, both of those things fascinate and scare me to death when I think about these new companies that are putting IP stacks and adding web interfaces to your refrigerators and things like that. Um, so what are, what are the ramifications of tech debt then? So like, let's, let's look, kind of work through an example. Like what could happen uh, from an IoT device perspective? What could they forget that you would classify as technical debt that would come back to burn them in the future? Uh, it, it starts with things like uh, just the, the third-party components, right? Uh, it might be the base operating system that's in the device. It might be the well-known libraries. Uh, those things have flaws regularly. People are poking at them. They're finding vulnerabilities. Uh, and those things just kind of get left behind. But it also goes further than that, right? There is tech debt and problems that are going to exist in the code that any team has, not just the third-party components. So I think, we, you know, we need to kind of bring it uh, not just in the IoT base space, but also kind of move it forward and start thinking about what does tech debt look like for the apps and the stuff that we're writing that's within the developer space. Okay, so this is this is a people problem, this is a technology problem, or this is a process problem. Where does where does tech debt or, or uh, D all of the above? Yeah, I, I don't want to blame the, the people making it because there's there's healthy tech debt. Right? There's that trade off of well, do I get it done now and get it working and be able to monetize it or do whatever I need to do with it, or do I try to solve all the tech debt? So uh, I don't want to blame development teams because uh, they're trying to get stuff done. That's really important. Shipping is also a feature. But also we've got, uh, I think, somewhat a a process challenge in that we forget about the tech debt problem, both in the the bugs that we have that we kind of push off and keep kicking down the road. And I think there's also the uh, those bugs then point to a technology problem that uh, also exists. So I would say mostly all of the above. And I think some of that is dependent on the industry. And like, so if you're talking about a startup, a startup is going to incur more general technical debt 
than a large enterprise because they're going to be they're not as as, as uh, risk isn't that important to them. They're more thinking how am I going to survive for the next if we don't make the next couple releases we may just be done we run out of money and we're done. Whereas an enterprise kind of has a different risk management perspective. So how do you see technical debt playing out for the startup versus the enterprise? Hmm, excellent question. I think in the startup world, from a, a tech debt of the components that they're building on top of, they're probably in relatively good strengths. Because if they're choosing a modern cloud provider, a modern platform as a service provider, they've got a lot of that stuff kind of, they don't have to worry about it right now. Right? They might have to worry about it later, but right now it's covered. So that part of tech, net, uh, tech debt rather is, uh, is something they don't need to worry about. But where they really start to incur the tech debt, I think, in maybe the startup world, is in the design that they put their side of the DMARC. Right? So the cloud provider does a lot of cool stuff. Uh, on their side of the DMARC, the code that they write needs to be uh, relatively well designed. Right? Okay. And so uh, the, the tech debt that I think a startup is going to incur is going to be in the deltas and the challenges and the bugs and the design faults in what they put together. Okay. Okay. So, and then from the enterprise perspective, what what is what's their... How does an enterprise incur technical debt? Is it different than the startup, or is it? I mean, because of enterprise, I think of is going to be more process heavy. They're going to be more policy driven, uh, but they we know they still have technical debt at the end of the day. So, is it different for a startup versus an enterprise, or are they really the same? Uh, from my experience with an enterprise, uh, it's going to be a different kind of challenge there in some respects. In that they might have a lot of uh, technology on the other side. of because right? they're often, at least a traditional enterprise in the past, was responsible for managing all that lower layer stuff. Okay. And so I mean, where the startup might have to worry about the stuff on top and the, the flaw, faults in their design, the enterprise has got all that and the bag of chips. Right? Okay. They've got the other half of that, and they have to worry about taking care of that platform. Unless they've gone to some sort of methodology where they can push that off to somebody else. But okay. they've got to deal with all that old and crusty base stuff in addition to the, the faults and problems of the tech debt on top of what they've built. And pretty much every enterprise is a custom software house to some degree. Sure. So they've got the, the, the development things that come along with that in that they might have old designs that haven't been updated for that business app in 10 years. Right? And, and the support for the technology that they put in there, those libraries are way out of support. So they, they, they're incurring uh, the same kind of things that the, uh, the startup will. In fact, they, they probably already have it. They just don't realize or haven't thought of it. So let me let me ask you this question then: Is what's the difference between technical debt and security technical debt? Because are we are we talking in the context of this conversation when you say technical debt? Are you talking about potential third party libraries that are not updated and have vulnerabilities? So is technical debt the same thing as security technical debt, or are they two different things? I would lump them all into one umbrella because uh, there are things that are not necessarily a security problem, but are still technical. Maybe okay. you haven't designed for high availability, even though you realize later on that it's something you need to do. So you're right? crashing under load. Yeah. Too many users. Right? It's a design fault. Yeah. You, you, can't, you haven't figured out your scale out. Whatever. That, that's technical. Right? Okay. It's, it's impacting your ability to do what you need to do. Is it necessarily a security problem? It could turn into one if somebody figures out how to leverage it against you, but no, that's a concern. Uh, security technical debt, I think, is just a flavor of that. Right? Okay. It's it's a subset of not just thinking about the overarching technical debt, but the focusing it on well, why do we care about these particular things? Well, they're the the 
the layers, the parts of technical debt that lead to those security vulnerabilities. Okay, so what's the impact then of technical debt? Um, well, we, we talked a lot about vulnerabilities. Okay. Uh, there's also things like um, it might slow down your release cycle because you've got to go back and fix stuff. You try to do that cool new thing, but the old and busted can't handle it, so you've got to figure out a worker. So kind of like a flawed architecture. You're trying to build new cool stuff on top of a flawed architecture. Yeah. is eventually, it's a house of cards. Mm-hmm. It's going to come falling down eventually. Uh, you're going to see a, maybe a shorter time to life for a product because it's got all that technical debt behind it. Right? Somebody's going to say, oh, you're still using that? Okay, well, yeah, thank you. Right? They're going to get that kind of, it's going to have an unintentional marketing effect and it's going to affect the life cycle of the overall product. Uh, it might lead to a slower MVP because as you're trying to get that minimum viable product done and get it out the door, you're bumping into some of the tech debt of, of stuff that you brought in or security vulnerabilities that you then need to go back and fix because yeah. they're found late in the dev cycle or, or that sort of thing. Um, you, you're going to see things like uh, greater cost to fix problems. It, akin to what I mentioned earlier with the, the slower release cycle, right? When you have a, a problem that you find post-release, you've got to spend a lot more money trying to work around the technical debt. Uh, and then um, another thing uh, you, you might see is something like, uh, I mentioned this at the loss of customers, but um, uh, stuff that, that you know, if you, end up, you end up stuffed in a niche because of that technical debt. You could. Your product could be, uh, could be in that one little corner where the folks who still want to go use that really old thing and don't want to upgrade, they, they'll be fine. They'll sit on it. And you can maybe stay there. But the, the new stuff that's marching forward, the new integrations, all those cool stuff that's going to get that attention and that, that uh, marketing bump uh, is just not going to happen for you, especially when that tech debt is really, really obvious. Okay. So what do we do about it then? So we've established the problem space here. We have technical debt. I think everybody that's listening is going to, if they work on any type of development project, they're thinking right now in the back of their mind about all the development, uh, all the technical debt that they have. Yeah. So what do we do about it, though? So we have to we have to have a solution to this problem. Um, we need to plan time for removal. Uh, quite frankly, I, I'm sure it's just, people are thinking, "Wow, yeah, that, that's pretty straightforward." But but it is right. We need to remind ourselves that we need to spend uh, I don't just pulling the number out of the air, maybe ten percent of our time going back and say, "Hey, what's getting crusty?" And it could be stuff that isn't that old, but it's it's foreseen to to cause a problem later on. It's recognized as technical debt, either security technical debt and a specific flavor or just general. And, and so we've, we've got to plan time in the schedule and make a, make resourcing available to, to handle that. Right? So if you're doing agile, you may have to set up a, a particular sprint for re- rework yeah. or some amount of, or dedicate some amount of time to each sprint to say we're going to dedicate 5% of our resources to fixing technical debt or 10%. But you've got to have a strategy. Yeah. A tech that you've identified as part of your project should go in the backlog. Right? Yeah. In the Agile case, it's a, yet another work item. Yeah. And you got to remember, we have to prioritize it appropriately. So, you know, the 10% is my arbitrary number, but it means that you got to say, okay, great, we've done all these 20 things. We need to make sure two of them are tech that, even just little tweaks here and there, they're going to improve it overall. Yeah. So what else do we do? Um, a good mantra a friend of mine uh, said is, get clean, stay clean. Right. So if you've got a project that's got a lot of technical debt, could be something uh, like a static code analysis. You did some security uh, static code analysis on your code base and it found a bunch of problems. Right. Um, maybe there's a lot of problems you can't do it all at once, but, you know, work towards driving to get clean. And then once you have it relatively clean, stay that way. Yep. You know, even push it to the next level and say, OK, now that we're clean, we're going to stay clean. 
by making sure that all new code that gets checked in stays clean. And if it, you can't write clean, clo- clean code that, uh, that you know, passes the static a- an analysis system, then it bumps back, kicks out your change, and you have to go back and fix it. Yeah, so, I, can, so I, I see that as one potential strategy when you're thinking about lines of code that individual developers are writing. It also makes me think, from a third-party software perspective, dependency checkers, software that looks at that particular piece of code and looks at a database to see does it have any vulnerabilities. That's another place where they, you can you can follow that get clean, stay clean mantra mm-hmm. with your third-party software. Get clean by updating what is vulnerable and then stay clean by having a dependency checker that every time you do a build, it, it, it throws an error and says, sorry, you got a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are lots of tools available to do that. And that kind of feeds into another mantra, upgrade wisely and often. Now, there's certainly risk in, in upgrading, especially when, when things change over time. Uh, and the APIs might be different, and not all uh, dependencies are great at making sure they don't break back the pad, right? But at least when you're, when you're planning in that upgrade for that dependency or uh, fixing that module that you know you're, you're, you wrote that all the other stuff is dependent on, uh, you're, you're putting that effort in, and you're, you're, uh, you're making sure that you're staying at least abreast of the problems, at least somewhere on the current release uh, or current supported release. Uh, edge of that of that uh, wave. So I, I've seen some nightmare cases where products have never had their third-party software updated. So it's like a Linux-based OS, and this product's been shipping for five, six, seven years, and they've never, they're so far, they can't even upgrade anymore. There are no security patches for the particular version of Linux that they're using, and that's how old it is. So that upgrade wisely and often, I think, is really good advice because if you if it's a smaller batch size, if you're always upgrading, looking, and testing, if you make that batch size smaller, it just makes it less likely that you're going to break the whole system by doing an upgrade. Now, if you have one of those products that's been seven or eight years and you try to do a full upgrade, good luck trying to pass your regression test. I mean, everything's probably yeah. going to fail because it's all going to be break apart. So anything else that we should be thinking about as far as what we should be doing? Uh, I saw a great recommendation online, and I've suggested this for security bugs as well. Have a, a, a debt ceiling so that as you're, you're building up this tech debt, right, you can have some sort of thing on your backlog and you can use that as a, as a rough uh, rubric or, or thing to choose to pick from. Your, your tech debt is going to go up and up and up. You've got all these things in the backlog you know you need to fix, but you keep declining to put them or there's too many so you can only do so many. Uh, at some point, you're going to hit the ceiling of, uh, hey, if we don't fix these now, it's going to be a big, big, big problem. So set that limit and then say, okay, well, uh, Last time we said we're only going to do 10% uh, towards tech debt, but this time we've really got to say, okay, we need to, <laughs> uh, excuse me, this time we really need to say, uh, okay, we've got to start spending more resourcing, so maybe we kick it up to 20, 25%, or you know, pick a number, and say, we've got to do it until we can get it back down below that that ceiling, right? And then, then we've got... Then we've got the uh, the ability to say, okay, we're back to a comfortable spot. Yeah. And then on the, the opposite side of that, you could even say, well, we've got a floor, right? We, we can handle a certain amount of technical debt. We can focus the eighty percent of our resources on the, the new uh, the new hotness, and then know that we've got you know we can go down to about twenty percent old and busted before we really have to say, okay, well, you know, uh, we don't have to do anymore. Yeah, I like that idea of a floor and a ceiling. I think that's a good way for people to think about this. We can't go to any higher than the ceiling. And but we have the ability to accept some technical debt that allows us to be innovative and keep things moving quickly. Makes me think of the ceiling. It makes me think of the Gates memo at Microsoft, 
when they the trustworthy computing memo where they stopped everybody in 2004. I might be getting my years wrong, but they basically called a halt to any shipping of new features and spent three months just clearing up as many security problems as they possibly could. So that I think that's you know they would have never called it a technical debt ceiling, but that's basically the the principle that they applied there, and we're very successful. Yeah. Is there anything else that we need to to do? Well, uh, people say, well, you know, how do I get started in dealing this, uh, dealing with it? I think a, a good starting point is some of those third party stuff. Everybody's got third party stuff. Yeah, dependencies suck, yeah. but out of date dependencies are sucky. So uh, take a focus on on those. Pick one of the dependencies and update it to the latest cycle. Right, get to that most recent uh, released version that is still in the support window. That fits with your particular version string, you know. Basically, get get up to date. Yep. And then um, after that, obviously retest. But if those those updates are relatively small, then the verification should be fairly straightforward. Or yeah. better yet, if everything's automated, then it's just a matter of you know updating some stuff, re- rerunning the verification tests, making sure stuff's still working. You know, it passes the smoke test, it passes the verification. We're, we're good. Right? I think this is actually easier for people that are operating in a DevOps world now because they're already focused in on a small batch size. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think where this is more difficult is in the waterfall, and there is still a lot of waterfall out there. I'm shocked just with, with how much I time, many times I see waterfall still as a primary methodology. Uh, waterfall definitely is going to make it harder because the release cycles are longer and you, you don't have as many touch points like you do in a DevOps world. But I think it's workable from both perspectives. Yeah. And, and then, you know, if it breaks something... Plan to fix it, and so if it's an easy fix, we can get it done. If it's a real big and complicated one, it breaks a lot of stuff. Okay, well then now you know that goes on the tech debt back. Yeah, that's a big problem. We really got to go back and fix it. It's too much for this release, so maybe we can roll back. Knowing that, okay, well this is a top priority, or this is a big thing that we're going to have to uh, account for later. So when we hit our our tech debt ceiling, we know we've got a big chunk to deal with. Yeah. Have you seen any? I'm um, just kind of wrapping this up, and and I guess it. How would you? What would you say that in conclusion? Um, what should a team's goal be about tech debt? Um, well, if you look at where the rest of the industry is going, even in in more traditional waterfall models like the operating system, uh, times are changing, man. We're going to r- rapid updates on this. Yeah. Um, Windows 10 is supposedly uh, a, in fact, is is being pitched as, and, and if you look at the upgrade cycle, it actually is being delivered as this routine. Hey, once every six months, once every year. It's going to get a new version. So they're going through updates. They're going through incremental upgrades. They're actually increasing your tech debt yeah. underneath of you, right? And if you look at way, uh, the way updates for that platform are coming out, the uh, the platform itself is uh, is getting a monolithic patch. So, again, there's a bunch of stuff that's going to happen beneath just at the operating system level that is beyond your span of control. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, is there any, any resources that you can think of? I guess what's it called? Well, at first, what's... Well, let's do resources first. Yeah. If somebody wanted to dive deeper into this topic, is there any place you've seen people uh, talking about this? Like, is it ha- is there conversations on Twitter, or is there any good blogs or anything that you've seen? Uh, certainly a, uh, a search on tech debt, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, you get to see a couple of great articles when I was doing research for uh, this topic today. Okay. Uh, that's that's where I uh, got the idea for uh, the, I've seen it in one of those blogs. Uh, 
sorry, I don't remember which one, but okay. uh, that's where they showed the sawtooth wave that, that talks about the depth, the, uh, the ceiling, the ceiling and the floor. And the floor right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, to get started, though, it's really just you know uh, taking an introspective look at your own project and saying, well, what what areas might we have to edit? Maybe running some some free tools or some handy available tools to look at the uh, the state of maybe the base operating system if your project actually includes that. There's plenty of tools that will scan the base operating system and tell you what you got out of date modules, vulnerabilities, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then similarly, there, there's going to be more and more tools on the, the market or, or uh, regularly available that will look at the libraries on top. And some of them are getting smart enough to look at the source code, not just the binaries. So we can say, hey, you took that source code from that open source library book and as a source code module and compile it yourself. Yep. Well, the, the tools are getting to be available that will look at that until. So uh, really picking a few targets, just something easy, and start there. Get a sense of, okay, it's not as bad as it seems when you look at this big tech debt wall and the eyes glaze over and you, you don't want to approach it. Hey, thanks uh, very much for your time here. I think that was a, uh, a good introduction to this topic. I hope we get some people thinking and approaching. Uh, you know, I take a very programmatic approach to application security, and I think this is a great uh, topic to include within that kind of approach to culture because technical security, technical debt is just another another piece of how you approach security from a cultural perspective. So thank you very much for your time today. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. Our intro music is 8-Bit Kung Fu by Lauren and TJ, and the outro is Southern Delight by Stefan Karkenberg. You can find us on Twitter at AppSecPodcast or on the web at www.appsecpodcast.org.